Raina. And I'm Megan. Welcome to the Shh Don't Talk About It podcast, where we talk about all the things we need to say out loud, but think that we can't. We're going to talk about all the things. We're going to shed light on them. We're going to embrace them. And we're going to fucking love them. So join us on this journey as we get rid of shame and start talking about it. Welcome to episode 10. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about suicide. So we want to give a content warning up front. We know what a difficult topic this is. We know how triggering it can be. And we also believe that it is important to talk about difficult things, even when they trigger us and even when they hurt. So we want to invite you, if this episode becomes difficult for you to listen to, Step away, take a break, take a walk, go meditate, come back to it when you're ready. We'll be here. Also, if you or a loved one are struggling with thoughts of suicide or self-harm, we want you to know that help is out there and you can call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-8255, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 365 days a year, and you are never alone. Never. So So before we get into this episode, um, instead of cracking a claw, as we normally do, we have these um, beers that... Um, that uh, some of our, we're going to be talking about a friend of ours, Joe, who passed away um, from suicide this past summer, 2020. And some of his friends and his hometown um, brewed a beer in his honor. It's called Campagno Alto, which means tall friend. He was a very tall friend. Tall <laughs> um, so tonight we're cracking our Joes, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's to Joe. Oh, ah! Oh, they just exploded. <laughs> a little, uh, okay, Joe, we see you. We see I you. He was probably up there laughing mm-hmm. or out there laughing. I don't know about up or around us. Down. Down. He's around <laughs> us laughing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, this is the, this experience we're going to be talking about is really what was like the catalyst for even starting the podcast. So, mm-hmm. do you want to maybe just, Start there. Yeah, because I feel like, you know, the the best way to end this season was to bring it full circle to why we began this podcast to begin with, which was about Joe. Um, And if you recall from episode one, we talked about, you know, the night that we decided to um, do the podcast is when we were uh wanted to talk about Joe wanted to talk about what we, what we were experiencing but how difficult that was especially around you know other people or in you know nobody really wants to talk about the hard stuff um so we thought the best way to do that would be to of course do an episode on Joe and um talk about our grief and how our story with him and um, honor him and open up this conversation because it's fucking important and the whole purpose of doing this podcast. And I just think it's it's really important that we talk about suicide and self-harm, even though it's dark, even though it's uncomfortable, because so many people yeah. struggle with thoughts of not wanting to be here anymore, yeah. um, especially now in COVID times, mm-hmm. like the rate of death by suicide has gone up um, significantly since 2019. Yeah. And I think we want to talk about what we went through and share our experiences as like surviving loved ones. We also just really want anybody listening who is feeling like they don't matter to maybe grab a little bit of hope Mm -hmm. out of this. And also for those of you who have lost somebody in this way, we're hoping that maybe you'll feel less alone too, because it is a very isolating form of grief because of the stigma. And because like even just saying the word Mm -hmm. suicide, Mm -hmm. like it's a real quick way to clear a room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't even bring it up like 
in the news. You know, that most of the time when you, people don't say how a person died, you know how they died. Yeah, you know, suicide or overdose. Right. Two things that are should not be stigmatized or held no. against the person or held against the person's loved ones, but they are. So right. if you're like us and you've are living through this, you're just not alone. No, no. And this is my um, first experiencing losing somebody like this um, and losing somebody this close to me. Mm -hmm. I'm very fortunate that I haven't had to, you know, lose many people in my life um, that were this close to me. But fuck, dude, this was hard. It still is hard. Maybe we could start with just who he was to us. Um, <laughs> we both already have tears in our eyes. <laughs> Maybe Joe. this is a good way in. So, well, um, Joe's actually the reason that you and I even know each other. We're even yeah. friends. Yeah. So I will, there's many things about his presence in my life that I am grateful for, but that's one of the biggest. Like he brought me to you yeah you know he brought me to one of like my very best friends mm -hmm. one of the most significant friendships of my life so thanks joseph yes. <laughs> um, so same, same. yeah i mean i mean we didn't know it a long time ago so we met wait like six, five six years ago six years ago six yeah, years ago um and before then i met joe because joe worked with my with sergio he worked with him and they became fast friends um and Bert and Ernie. And Bert and Ernie um, is what we called them. Um, they worked together. They were friends. Everybody knew them. They were besties. And Joe would come over and we'd all hang out. And um, he's just really easy to get along with, easy to love, and just a fun guy, you know, and uh, funny with all of his Joeisms and his sayings. And um, so we all became like fast friends. And then, um, then I remember the day that, uh, I met you, Megan, when, uh, he brought you to, we met you all at a, at a bar. Yeah. So, um, he and I dated and we were together for four and a half years. Um, and then in, in like what was the last year of his life, we were not still dating, but mm, I was still his friend, yeah. whatever. So yeah. yeah, that was when we had, we had just very, like early days of knowing each other it must have it was probably around this time in 2015 it's probably in february sometime oh, yeah um and he invited me to meet up with him and his co-workers at the some bar and i remember being so like so nervous because it's always like weird to walk into a group of friends yeah yeah um but yeah, that's the first time we met. Mm -hmm. That yeah. was that was the beginning of us. Yeah. Um, what is like one of your favorite things about him? Um, I just love he's just I don't know. I mean, there's just a lot of things, but I love his Joeisms. I love his like uniqueness and um quirkiness about him. You know, he called me Pepe Reina a lot <laughs> after the soccer player. Um, and he's the only one that I would let him let call me Ray Ray because I do not like Ray Ray. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I loved all of his sayings, and I I tried to adopt them, but I'm not very good at. <laughs> Had like you know impressions of, yeah. of Joe, but um, he just had a way um, of like like not giving a fuck, really, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah in a way, or at least seeming like he didn't. Right. I think actually oh, I he mean, gave yes, a lot obviously. of fucks, but <laughs> yes, but yeah. I'm just saying just like yelling it, and just yeah. being like really taking up his space and yes. <laughs> not yep. caring um, in that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about you? I know there's a lot. There's so much, but I really loved his empathy, mm -hmm. his ability to truly feel what another person was feeling. And he had this way of being able to really see you mm -hmm. and really understand you and get in there with you when he was his, like, when he was attached to his core self. Yeah. So he also had a way of getting really triggered and then really like detaching and isolating yes. from people. Um, yeah. And, you know, but I think when he was him at his most himself, mm -hmm. he just had this beautiful way of being able to connect and help other people see what was special about yeah. them. Like the way that he worked with youth, 
um, the kind of partner he was to me for much, not all, but like much of our relationship. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, he just had, the, he just had this way of being able to make you feel safe. Mm-hmm. I, and I also like, I appreciate his complexity as a human. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the duality. Like there was a lot of light and there was a lot of dark. And living with the dark was hard, mm-hmm. and um, there was a lot that came with that. But I I appreciate that about him now even more so, like, 240, 224 days after his death, thinking about, like, how, how he walked on this earth for th- almost 37 years with that in him and, like, fighting fighting that duality and, like, mm-hmm. like – how many times he overcame the darkness and won. Mm-hmm. I I love that. I, yeah. In the end, maybe the darkness got him this time around, but I I just think that there's something special about a person that is fighting demons and walking with that and working hard to win the fight and then still has space left over to care for other people in the empathetic way that he did, especially with the youth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He definitely um, touched a lot of hearts and souls and um, his impact was like incredible. Like the ripple effect of his actions is just amazing and will forever be, you know, it'll continue to ripple on forever. Um, And it's rippling here, you know, with us sharing the story of him, you know, and I I love that you said that about him because it is so that's Joe, you know, and he uh, was so fucking real. Um, and that's I appreciate the realness and authentic authenticity of him because yeah. he was not afraid to show that part of himself when he yeah. got triggered, when he fucking I know, I know that. <laughs> but, but when he. Turned down, which we saw a lot, you know, he'd light up the room and one second, the next second he'd be, he'd like go dark and like totally shut off and disconnect. And, um, I know it's something that he had a difficult time controlling, of course. Um, but it also says something of like being in tune to your emotions and a lot of people ignore their emotions or ignore a lot of things. So they're just one straight line, you know, living this one straight line and that's, that's no way to live either, you know? So it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful struggle that yeah. he, that he was facing his whole life, you know? I think that's the, perfect. that's the perfect way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it all emotions. So, and so much in this really powerful way that I think just was more than yeah. other, than a lot of people do. Like in a lot of ways, he was just like, so much more. Yeah. I just always wished that he could have seen himself the way other people saw him. Yeah. Like um after he died, we put together Raina and I and like other people from our close friends group put together a memorial. Mm-hmm. Um it was COVID safe, everybody. It was outside, masks were required, whatever. I don't really feel like we have to justify that. Yeah. But so many people were there and so many of his former students were there and like the stories that people told were really cool. And person after person after person was just talking about like the impact that he made. Mm -hmm. And I think what's so fucked up about depression and the diagnosis he had is that your brain just fucking lies to you. Like at the end, he did not think that he mattered. I mean, he literally said to me, like, you'll be uncomfortable for a few weeks, but you'll be fine. And I think he believed that. Mm -hmm. And, and yet there's all of these people, his friends, his family, his students, like random people that he was friends with at the Starbucks in our neighborhood Mm who, um, who miss him and felt that impact. And, and I guess I wanted to say that for people who might be listening, who maybe, feel small or feel like they don't matter like you you just do and you don't none of us I think know the full scope of the impact we're making on the world but like this was a person who thought that he didn't matter Mm -hmm. like believed that and 
yet there's like hundreds of people in this community still mourning the loss. Yeah. <sighs> so Joe, 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 I call him Joe, Joe. <laughs> um, so he died last summer. I don't know if we said that or not. We said it was 224 days. So it was a Sunday to in July that he died. Um, And it was um, it's interesting because I lost touch with Joe a few like a a few months, maybe up to a year before his death um, because of, you know, friends lose lose touch. And um, but I never like I always thought about him and I was worried about him. He is he was one of those people that you you think that this may happen one day. Yeah. That they may take their lives one day. But like there's you know, we reached out, we did what we could. Um, but then, you know, when it does happen, it's just like, fuck, you know, I think it was complicated, like just the time the year leading up to his death was a really complicated time. He had lost touch with himself in a lot of ways. He was isolating himself from the people in his life who really knew him, Mm -hmm. like the people that had really always been there and like making choices that weren't great, that didn't make a lot of sense at the time. They kind of do now in hindsight. But, you know, it was just... It, it was something that I was worried about from, like, 11, 11 months before he died. Like, I was part of helping him get back into counseling um, in the fall of 2019 because I was worried about things that he was saying. Mm-hmm. And I I know I started to become really concerned probably last May, June, um, the couple months leading up to when when he ultimately did pass. And unfortunately the night he died, I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, really difficult conversation happened in the 90 minutes before he ended his life. I was at the location where it occurred. Um, and I've done so much, so much um, therapy and like really specific tra- like trauma focused therapy on that night. And but it's still really hard to talk about. But what I will always be grateful for is well, two things. On the one hand, the conversation right before was awful, but I am glad I got to see him. It's weird. It's really weird to be the last person that saw some somebody alive, and it's very hard to have seen them alive in like mom- a moment of like excruciating emotional pain. Um, but I'm, I think I'm grateful for that. And I'm really grateful for you because I, after he passed, I called 911 and they did not answer the phone. Um, 911 didn't answer. Um, so I called Raina and then you didn't answer either, which wasn't, you know, you're not 911. So you shouldn't. It was after midnight on a Sunday. And I literally normally have my phone turned off. Like, I mean, I literally usually have the on silence, but that night I didn't. So the ring, it woke me up. And then I texted you. No, I texted you back. Oh, you did? I texted you. I know, but I texted you and I was just like, is everything okay? And you're like, no. Oh, that's right. Joe's dead. Yeah. Yeah. And I told you where I was and you were like, okay. And then. 911 called me, did call me back eventually, but like just for the record, like y'all working at 911, you should answer your answer the phone. It yeah. might be an emergency. Um, but I mean, Raina met me there and was the first familiar person who I saw. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember very much, but I'm meaning like a weird ringing in my ears right now. Trauma's cool. Um, but I always, I have wondered, like, what was it? What was it like? Like, what was going through your mind? Like, heading over to where I was, like, coming, like, coming up to meet me, and then, like, I stayed with you. You know, neither of us slept, but I yeah. stayed with you that it through that morning until I was able to come home and then go over to my partner's house where I would be like safe with somebody that I could mm-hmm. just like be around. And um, yeah, I'm so grateful that you came, but I've actually never asked you what that was like for you. Um, it was like, what the fuck? Yeah. 
you know, like literally I woke up (laughs) out of sleep and I saw that what you texted and I was like, wait, what? Joe's dead. And it took me a minute to like register. And then you told me where you were. And I was like, I like I jumped out of bed. I'm like, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go meet Megan. And Sergio woke up. He's like, what? And I just blurted it out to him. And I'm like, fuck, I just like did that to him. And I left him, you know, and I was like, you want to come with me? And he's like, what's going on? And I'm like, I just got to go. I didn't even know what the fuck was going on, to be honest. Um, I mean, I'm sure. I- <laughs> and I just knew right away, even though there was question if he was still alive or not. Yeah. Um, I just knew like it was the it was horrifying. Yeah, I I'm usually like the I just remember holding you and then breaking down, crying, both of us and then just sitting there and waiting and waiting and waiting. And oh, it was cold and his stuff was there and they wanted it. The cops wanted to take it. <laughs> I was like holding one flip flop. Yeah. I was like, can I, I'll just, I'm just going to hold this until you have to take it. Like, I don't know. I, I think we were both in shock. Yeah. And we went back to my house and I didn't know what, like, we both didn't know what to do. I Like, what do you do? What do you do? You know, it's like. We both lost somebody that night or, or it wasn't even like it wasn't final final. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was a weird. Situation. It was chaos. Horrifying. It was horrifying chaos. and searching for help, people to help us. And Raina did and you did an amazing job. Like it was something that really struck me was the next day. I was like, I, I have very few memories of like the th- three months after the death I and the next day I my brain was just buzzing there were a lot of people that I had to tell mm-hmm. because the police were not doing notifications of family which I thought was like morally reprehensible I felt yeah. that they I felt that his family deserved to know right. and um so I had those phone calls to make just so many things and and you and while I was doing that and also like vacillating between being completely catatonic completely hysterical and then like stuffing everything down to make like 20 phone calls to people um you just like sprung into action just like organizing things doing things that needed to be done finding out information yeah i mean i wanted answers and i wanted to find him and i wanted to do something yeah you know like not doing anything did not feel right you know yeah you can't just sit there and it's crazy because it's like when you look back at it like nobody should have to fucking deal with this shit after your friend just no and then to have to like do the work to like hello people hello is is anybody anybody helping as anybody in a anybody looking for him is anybody looking for him can we find him please um that whole week was a blur like how we made it from, t- from monday to friday because it was yeah. like monday and then friday was his vigil, was the vigil. Yeah. we still didn't find him yet yeah. um the next day yeah i always really felt that we brought him home I because we did that. we so i mean god i don't there's really i just don't even have memories to like say what it was like in the immediate aftermath but one thing that was important was putting together that vigil and i do i think that the regardless of your religious beliefs or your perspective or understanding of the afterlife or the mystery of death the rituals of death i think are really really important Mm -hmm. i i feel sad for a lot of people that have had that taken from them because of covid you know we were lucky that there was a location where we could do this that was outside and really really beautiful Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, I don't remember anything that happened that whole week, except I do remember the vigil and it was beautiful. And I, I, I do feel like our love like brought him home or sent him forward. Oh, I you know? fully believe it because I remember that night so vividly. And I remember the wind was blowing the whole time. It was blowing the whole time. And I just could feel like this energy, this vibe, like this. I don't know. It's just such a beautiful sad but just like like out of this world energy with the wind and then like 
then we bought the land, the fucking lanterns that I bought to like light and like send off into the river. You know what I mean? Like, weren't they going. Got, they all got stuck. <laughs> they weren't going. I'm like, well, where's the wind now? You know what I mean? <laughs> They're all just like lining up on the shore. Um, like, God dang it. Um, but I just feel like it was, I, I believe what you want to believe y'all, but I do feel Joe was there and I do feel he was like, listening and taking this in and fucking with us at the same time with the damn lanterns um because the next day he was free yeah and there was just another energy out there that just felt you could fucking feel it like it wasn't so heavy anymore yeah and it was just i don't know it was such a beautiful um beautiful vigil for sure and yeah so loving maybe it would be good if we talk about like what has helped us navigate this and get through because it's it has been a little more than seven months now i and it's weird because some days now i feel like my old self Mm -hmm. um kind of and then some days are really hard it's like this journey through grief has so many unexpected twists and turns and i think when you're experiencing grief from a traumatic loss um it's very sharp it's very intense it's confusing and there's a lot of dark corners <laughs> so maybe we could talk a bit about how we are making meaning of this and finding our way through mm-hmm. to whatever is next you know i don't really like using the term like recovery for something like that, like recovering yeah. from this because I don't think there is a recover. Exactly. <laughs> I don't like think that's the goal. Exactly. Like re- right? recover, like implies a return to a previous state. Yeah. And I don't really want to go back to that. It's not, state, it's not possible. Like this has blown open parts of my heart and soul in that's okay. Like yeah, it's okay, but like, they're not going to, um, to, they're not going to be put back together the yeah. way that they were before. So I think about it more as just like, how do you build a life alongside your grief? How do you get out of the dark corners when you get stuck in them? Yeah. And like, what, what's been helping you through? Like, what's been helping you understand and make meaning and find like space I to breathe in all of this? still so fresh out of all of this. It's, um, we're definitely still in the, I believe we're still in the first phases of grief because it's going to be a lifelong journey for the both of us, for anybody um, who's lost people in this way. Um, But for me in the very beginning, you know, really helped me was um, like connecting to my spiritual side, you know, and having faith that there is that he is literally in um he ended his own suffering, you know, and he took his own life in his own hands. And I felt like that was his decision. And um, it fucking sucks for the rest of us. And it sucks because it's permanent in a way, um, if you believe that this is it. But to me, that what has helped me is I honestly believe in reincarnation. And I believe in um, uh, other, you know, worlds and energies and all of that. So I like, really came back to myself um, through all of this, like it really opened up my spiritual side more so than I ever thought I ever would be in touch with again. Um, Yeah. And I started seeing all the synchronicities, you know, and all the like reminders of so many reminders and so many, like, I think that's Joe, you know, like so many things like we're like Joe, like communicating and it was just incredible when you start paying attention. Um, and I fully believe in miracles and I believe so much anything is possible. And that's what helped me. And it continues to help me is believing that there's, there's so much more than this physical plane that we're on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it's hard. I remember the morning after he died it's like nine o'clock in the morning and I'm on the phone with my therapist begging her, begging her, tell me what happens when you die. 
what happens when we die? Where do we go? Tell me, like, tell me. I think in my, of course she doesn't know. None of us know for certain, but I think in, (laughs) I project a lot onto my therapist. So in my head, like she is the one that like knows everything. (laughs) And I'm like a little obsessed with her. And so I'm like, in my head, I'm like, nobody knows. Uh, Entire religions are founded around like trying to make sense of the mystery of death, but surely my therapist knows. And I was just begging her. And she finally just said, Megan, that is something that through this process, you will have the opportunity to discover for yourself. And I was like, I'm obsessed with her. And I was like, but what, but what happens though? And she was like, she was like, I don't know. I know what I think. Mm -hmm. Here's an experience I had, but. This is this you're on a journey that you can only be on you're with yourself. Like bring your loved ones in, but like ultimately like this journey through like this grief and discovering what the grief has to teach you is a journey that you are on on your own and you have the opportunity to develop an understanding of what you believe happens when we die. Mm-hmm. And that has just like like that because again, I have like almost no memories from that time, but like my brain really grabbed that. Mm-hmm. So I have been in a like similarly like working to look internally to like discover like what's within me, what do I believe. But I just keep coming back to you, like this isn't it. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is it. No. Um, but it's still kind of cold comfort when you want to just talk to the actual. Pr- it's like this oh, is okay. it. This is it for like this trip around the circle, Mm -hmm. you know, like we don't get to talk to him again this time, you know, like not in the way, not, but not in the way that I want to, like, absolutely. I do. I have talked to him in my dreams. It does not comfort me, Mm -hmm. but it's okay. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, it's just that process of like really trying to sort out what happens next after this life. But I don't think it's it. And that is actually comforting. And there are moments of like, just like real peace in that, Mm -hmm. you know, like moments, it's always out in nature for me, just moments of like peace and fullness. And it's not even like a fullness of like, oh, he's visiting me. It's like moments of like being fully with myself and fully tapped into whatever, like, the source around us is yes the source energy Mm -hmm. and how amazing um this everything is like when you really get tapped in and you just like start focusing on wow like the energy and the vibration and the frequency like all of this is so amazing and of course you feel that in nature because nature in and of itself is like holy shit like you're so beautiful and like tree that's like my best friend <laughs> don't get jealous it's my best tree friend but, but it's so true because it like um it, there's so many I don't know I just it's hard to put into words yeah. to be honest um but I have felt an aliveness in me that I've never felt before yeah. since I was a child I would say I totally agree well I really really see that in you mm-hmm. but I think it's like it's this feeling of like, there's no time to waste. Mm -hmm. You know, like I need everybody to know how much I love them. Mm -hmm. Um, That's been hard. Like sometimes the grief has taken over and like, you know, I respond to people from a place of trauma or I'm like really shut down or whatever. I feel like that's allowed. Like we're all allowed that. But there is this feeling of like, there is no time to waste being shut down or trapped in inside ourselves no there is a sense of urgency now and more so of just like connecting in general like connecting to yourself connecting to others reaching out um just like fulfilling your purpose or like holy shit you know what i mean like it just kind of woke me up yeah um and again i think it's a choice um and i'm fortunate that i'm chose that way and you've chosen to to you know to recover like not recover but to to go through this and um it's a choice whether or not you're going to get up out of bed or or not yeah you know because i'm not going to fucking sugarcoat this shit it's been fucking hard okay really (laughs) like grief (laughs) is no joke i have not screamed and cried this hard since i was a child yeah um you know like but it also flashbacks yeah like all kinds there's all kinds of things but it also wakes up yeah the joy and the happiness like you can't have one without the other like that contrast like brings it even 
more full for yes. yourself, you know? Like if I if I didn't cry and scream and be so fucking sad, that means I never felt the joy. Exactly. And the love. It's like every nerve ending is raw, which means you're open to incredible pain but also abundant. Yes. Like good feelings yes. too. It sucks and it comes in waves and I say waves and tsunamis because I've definitely been hit by the tsunami wave before where it just fucking lays you out and you're like, you know, stuck. Um, But again, it comes in waves. So please trust that it's only temporary and it will it will go and you'll just ride out the next wave of whatever the next one will come. But, you know, I've definitely been in. in those dark thoughts before about not wanting to be here anymore or what do I matter? Or, you know, I've definitely been really, you know, I have never had a plan, but I definitely have thought of those horrible thoughts. Um, and now I'm teaching myself to just be aware of those thoughts and write them out. Like they're only temporary. Mm-hmm. Um, and do not do something permanent for something that's a temporary emotion. Like all emotions are temporary. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And over time, like I love the wave metaphor as well. Um, one of my one of my therapists, my EMDR therapist, um, helped me like sort of conceptualize that because um, EMDR is a specific form of trauma treatment. I really recommend it for anybody that what does has it stand for? eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Okay, um, and it's just it's a way I won't go, like bore people with all the clinical stuff about how it works, but it basically takes our traumatic memories, which are stored in the part of our brain that holds on to emotion mm-hmm. and moves them into our working memory, like takes some, like puts it into the hard drive in a way where you can have a more like well-adjusted or adapted perspective on what's happened mm-hmm. so that you stop feeling like the trauma is happening to you all the time. Because for months, like after this happened, like I, I felt like that I was just reliving that night yeah. over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and the EMDR helped me. It didn't take away the grief. I'm still really fucking sad that this happened. It helped it stop feeling like it's still happening all the time because I was having horrible nightmares, um, hallucinations, like full on night terrors. Like one night woke <laughs> I had a friend staying here with me at the time, but like got out of bed just full on screaming um, and didn't even know I was awake until she like got me and like like held me down and like got me back to myself. So EMDR like took care of all of that. Mm -hmm. But what my therapist basically said is like the grief is going to be with you. Like this is a horrible loss. But what we want it to be is a wave that you can surf Mm -hmm. and not a tsunami that's going to just come at you and drown you. Because when you're like trapped in those trauma symptoms, when you're like re-experiencing the trauma, you're just drowning, you know? Like, and for me, I, I, hallucinate have nightmares and completely disassociate in like really scary ways when I'm traumatized Mm -hmm. so it's been nice to bring it down from like tsunami to wave and now when there's a hard day like today of course was like hard for both of us Mm -hmm. because we knew we were going to be talking about this Mm -hmm. but it's like okay I know how to surf this now yeah like I'm developing skills and a schema for understanding like this too shall pass yeah Yeah, I'll come back and it will it will come (laughs) back Remember you you texted me the other day like um like you felt weird that Yeah, I was uh, like I've been feeling really good. I feel weird that I'm feeling good. I was like, don't worry, it'll it'll be be back. back. And I was like, but take but like love these moments. Take the joy. Take the joy like this. It's also like not a binary. Like it's easy to feel guilty for being happy. But no, like take that. Mm -hmm. Like I posted this thing on my personal Instagram a while ago that was like two pictures of myself and one where I'm like obviously extremely devastated and one where I'm laughing. It's actually at Raina's birthday party and like Raina's like about to fall off a toilet actually in the picture. Like I'm (laughs) cracking up. And in both of them, I was grieving heavily because it's not binary. You are allowed to feel joy and relief inside of your grief. Yeah. I mean, so important. Yeah. My goal is really like, like these days just to build a life alongside it yeah to like suffer wisely to like know that it's going to be there Mm -hmm. and it will come visit me but i don't have to live in like the house that grief built right (laughs) you know right yeah Yeah. that's good it's really good because it's um i mean trauma 
lives in us. It lives in our bodies. It lives in our minds. And you're doing the work so early on um, that hopefully those pathways haven't like fucking aren't set in concrete, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like I've raced down those pathways a million times um, for my childhood, you know, and and like they were like stuck now. Um, So, but yeah, I'm like, you know, chipping away, chipping away at the the concrete there. But um, I mean, I think what we're trying to say with all of this is like, uh, there's hope, you know, um, there's hope, there's things, there's multiple ways you can look at any experience really, but this specific experience, um, being of knowing and loving somebody who, who took their own life, um, you're kind of left with, you know, where am I at? with my life or how am I like, I'm so fucking sad for, for Joe and, um, that he was in so much pain and, you know, and then I remember saying to you, I was like, is it sad that, or is it horrible that I'm saying like, that I'm I'm glad he's not in pain anymore that, that, that he's not, you know, and I said, I don't think that's horrible. Yeah. I I wish he was alive and not in yeah. pain. And then like But I also know how excruciating things have become. Yeah. And so I don't know the answer for that kind of pain. Yeah. Yeah. I don't either. And I, and I try to put it in a in a way that I can try to understand. Um, and I, I want to be like 100% real here that I'm not condoning suicide. Um, but just with anybody who is in extreme excruciating amount of pain, whether it be physical or emotional. So I believe that I as a nurse, I believe in autonomy. Um, and I believe people have a right to choose, um, just like when they fuck, when they are dying from cancer or in so much physical pain, it's more acceptance, more accepting, um, for people or more understanding, right. For people that want to end that suffering because they're in so much pain. And so there is, you know, there is death with dignity or, you know, and then Oregon, um, making that decision for yourself or going on hospice or comfort care. Um, so again, I'm not saying that I condone suicide. I just think that there should be more help for those that are having emotional pain and struggling with that pain. Cause that is also very excruciating and, um, painful as well to have to go through that. Um, and it's not talked about and it's there's not a lot of help for those individuals. So they take that into their own hands and thinking this is all that they have to do. But when really there is so many other things, you know, um, but that kind of helped me with Joe because I didn't want him to suffer anymore. And, um, and I, again, I believe we are our own um creators of our own reality. I believe we are our own. uh, This is our life, you know, Um, and I would never shame him for choosing to do what he had to what he thought he had to do. And it's sad to say any of this. I don't I think it's kind of fucked. I think it's okay to say, Raina, I really do. Because like, I agree with like the right to self determination. And, you know, in in his case, he had access to excellent mental health, actually. But what I think about when I think about quote unquote suicide prevention, like we're, tr- and I'm, I'm a therapist, like I, I'm trained in like assessment, prevention, all of that. And often the point at which we're intervening is so late. Mm-hmm. And this is something that really helped me a lot, actually, because I had tremendous guilt mm-hmm. about this whole thing for a wide range of reasons. Um, I think when when you lose somebody to 
suicide or addiction, like loved ones feel a lot of guilt anyway. And there is that like, what could I have done differently? Why did I miss it? Blah, blah, blah. I felt a tremendous amount of guilt. And I had this feeling of like, not having gotten there in time. And a friend said to me, Megan, the entire world didn't get there in time. And I think, so when I think about like, what does actual suicide prevention look like? It looks like access to mental health care long before you're in crisis. It looks like normalizing the fact that people experience extreme emotional distress and pain Mm -hmm. and deserve support and there's no shame around it. It looks like addictions treatment that actually works. It looks like supports for families so that stressed out mothers and fathers have don't have to be so stressed out and can raise children from a place of like nurturing responsive parenting and not cause like not cause. I don't want to create like all of this like trauma in the first place. It looks like a culture and a society that is connected where nobody feels like they are a throwaway person. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We don't have that, those things. So of course there's people, no, not at all. And like, I mean, we just, we live in a very isolating and isolated culture Mm -hmm. where asking for help isn't normalized. We're like stopping by your friend's house just to check on them. Like just to like, take care of them isn't normalized like the world was literally too late yeah like our culture the way that we think about caring for people expressing love expressing care for them we've got it all wrong and all backwards and like western industrialized society and it creates an epidemic of suicidal people yeah like and this is so much bigger than just our one friend like there are so many people that wind up in this position yeah. because the world was too late for them. Yeah. They didn't get what they deserved from like an early age in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying that you're glad he's not in that kind of pain anymore. Yeah. I'm glad Thank you. Too. Ooh, but Sorry it's so, for the soapbox, but no, I'm but it's like, so true though, because there is preventative medicine yes. for heart disease, for diabetes, for, yes. you know what I mean? But when it comes to mental health, which is, I think we can all agree is newer on the table that yeah. it's being talked about. It's like our whole episode. Right? right? Like yeah. it's not now, I feel like as people are more talking about more shit, um, mental health is now going to be coming like a forefront. Hopefully there'll be preventative medicine for mental health, because if you do catch it early, if you're doing checkups, if you're checking in with people, um, hopefully you'll recognize the trauma or you recognize the, the mental health condition that can be fixed early on. So yeah, it doesn't create a fucking snowball effect. And then they feel like they have no choice, but to take it in their own hands and do what they can only see will end the suffering and end the pain. Yes. Because you I know? mean, if you are a person that feels big feelings, if you're a person that experiences depression or whatever, like that usually starts early. And what messages do you get? All the toxic positivity bullshit of like, just cheer up or yeah. like, oh, you're just so moody. Like there's no like care or compassion. Mm-hmm. For people who are sensitive, who feel big, yeah, you know, we just don't, we like nothing in our culture is constructed to help people feel important. Mm -hmm. Our importance is connected to how much we can produce financially Mm -hmm. for the most part, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's like, we just don't have structures in place to help people feel like they have inherent value because they are human beings who exist on this earth. Yeah. And that is enough. And that's, and that is enough. And we just like, we just, just have it all wrong. Yeah. We have it all wrong. Brilliant. And I'm hoping that, you know, this will add to the conversation, continue the conversation about mental health and um, that it's, ugh, there's just so fucking much, you know, because I feel like anxiety and depression, they are the key the conditions that are most like mainstream, I guess, you know, like -hmm. people know most about them and then, and then minimize them, but they're not, they're a big fucking big deal. Obviously anxiety and depression don't just come out of nowhere. Okay. Like they're, they come from a trauma response or something, you know, chemically chemical imbalance in the brain. Like it's not just, you know, 
somebody has anxiety. Like, why do they have anxiety? Why do they have depression? You know, what happened? Like, there's always a why. Um, so, so I encourage, like, if you, you know, have a friend or see a friend that is, you know, feeling sad or depressed or anxious, like, instead of just dismissing it as anxiety, um, ask why, like, where did this come? Where does this come from? What's really going on underneath that? You know, because I guarantee you there's a story there. Yeah. I, and like so much of it is just like the conditions that we are like all forced to be like trying to survive right now to like maintain some sense of our basic humanity Mm -hmm. are fucked up. But I'm glad you mentioned that about like actually like checking in on your friends. And I, I wanted to share, a couple tips for um, how to understand if a friend of yours is thinking about ending their life um, that any like any lay person can use that I think are important to know. Yeah. And I realize this is coming from the girl who's like really close friend wound up dying by suicide. But, you know, there were one girl, one person can't save a whole other person. These are still no, like really relevant things. You can't save somebody. No. But I think that because it's it's something that we tiptoe around and so a lot of mm-hmm. and like mental health first aid training is not something that's widely available. Like I really wish it was. Like I wish that you could get trained in mental health first aid as easily as you can get trained in just like basic first aid and CPR mm-hmm. cuz I think it would save a lot of lives. Yes. Um, but you know, if you have a friend who you're worried about, um, one misconception is that asking them directly if they're thinking of ending their life might quote unquote, put the idea in their head, um, which isn't true. If the idea is there, then it's there. And so it is the kind of thing where if you have somebody who you're worried about and there's, there's the classic symptoms, like them talking about not wanting to be here anymore, but there's other symptoms too, like that are classic symptoms of depression, like loss of interest in things that they used to love sleeping too much or not sleeping at all. Giving away everything. Yeah. Or, or just like breaking off really important, significant relationships, isolating themselves socially. You start seeing these signs, like uh, even though I, I know that like for anyone who's not a therapist, this feels like an awkward question, but just like asking directly, are you feeling like you want to die? Are you thinking that you don't want to be here anymore? Are you thinking of ending your life? Like, however you want to make that like your own language. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of times you can just say like, I'm worried about you and I'm starting, I'm wondering if you're thinking of ending your life. Mm-hmm. Most people when they're put, when the question is put that directly, will be honest in some way. And usually it'll sound something like, I don't know, like maybe sometimes. So then like the question I always ask clinically, and I did actually ask Joe this question too, is like, oh yeah, okay, like that you're going through a hard time. That kind of makes sense. How many times a day do you have that thought? Like a hundred? I always throw out some really high number <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because if I if you just say how many times are you having that thought, you'll get a vague minimized answer because yeah. depressed people minimize. So I always throw out some number that's like really high high and then you get the actual like oh no just only like 50 times a day yeah you can kind of get a sense of like how acute it is yeah and then you want to just kind of explore like okay so i have you thought about how you do it mm-hmm. do you have access to those means because what you're really trying to understand um is like intention plan and access to deadly means mm-hmm. and if you're talking to a friend and you learn that they have all three of those things it is time to call a hotline. It is time to talk to them about like what is their safety plan, what like what kind of resources do they need in their life in order to think it through a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it really is just like, well, can, like can we just like think this through for another day? Like obviously, you, if you're not a therapist, like it's not your job to like solve the problem. But those are the kinds of things that you want to be listening for and kind of trying to sort out with somebody who you're concerned might be planning or intending to end their life. I think that's great because then that also um, the other person on the receiving end of that question is like, Oh, someone cares enough. Exactly. Like, Oh, you're paying attention. Yeah. Or like, wow. You know what I mean? So it like opens up that dialogue where they're like, 
yes, actually. Yeah. But if and like, like you will, me. you will not put the thought in their head. No, 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 no. The other no. thing is to stay calm. So a lot, like the instinct is to freak out. It's kind of like how I was talking about in the sexual assault episode, like mm-hmm. stay as calm as you can and stay curious and like keep asking open-ended questions mm-hmm. to like try to understand more and more about what they might be thinking. Mm-hmm. And I will say like I did this with Joe and it led me to quote unquote break his trust and call his therapist and be like this is an this is an emer- this is an emergency. Mm-hmm. I cannot be in charge of it. No. I need you to know this is an emergency. And like, like as a friend or a lay person that's also like that is where your responsibility ends. Like it's not your job to save somebody, but it, you know, if you can, if you get insight into what's going on and you can reach out to a trained professional, like that's, that could save their life. It didn't this time, but it has for a lot, a lot, a lot of other people. No, I think those are quick mental health first aid tips. I think they're great because it's hard to know what to do with that information. You know, like once you got it and you're like, fuck, and again, you are. I think it's important to to know that you are not responsible for that life, you know. Um, and as much as you think you can change somebody's mind, or as much as you want to do something, um, you know, you you give that you get them help, and um, and that's all, you know. It's not your fault, whatever happens after that. Like, that is their, their choice. That is their decision. It's not your fault. Um, because, again, like, you cannot change somebody's mind just as much as they can't fucking change your mind, you know, like, on it. And so, but it is important to, to open up that conversation because you never know if that conversation, opening up that dialogue or recognizing or identifying, acknowledging that you, you see this going on with somebody and they're like, oh, my gosh, you see this. You see me. And then, boom, you know, they can make the choice whether or not they're going to allow this conversation to continue or if they want help from that, you know. Um, So so I appreciate you mentioning those things because they are important. And um, yeah, I mean, again, nobody can change your life but yourself. So while we think about a pearl of wisdom i think something i want to just say to again anybody who might be thinking that they're worthless or they don't matter um my friend thought that and he was wrong and like we're we're really sad we really miss him and there's people who would really miss you too 100 percent 100. Um, so I will share this quote here, um, that helped me in the, in soon after Joe died was, um, it was actually a Helen Keller quote and it was, it says what was once enjoyed and deeply loved, we can never lose for all that we love deeply becomes part of us. And I fully believe that and I embrace that because um, he will always be in my heart, in my mind. Um, There's literally not a day that goes by that I don't think about him. Um, (laughs) Maybe because I'm like live right there. But um, but also it's just um, I am fortunate and grateful to have that love and that capacity to feel that love and that grief, to be honest, you know, to love somebody so much that you grieve them is just, um, it's like a double-edged sword, but I'd rather have it all than none of it. So totally agree. agree. I wouldn't take back a single day, even though there were a lot of painful days. Yeah. And so what you shared reminded me of, I guess, what my like pearl of wisdom is, which is a riff on a quote that gets passed a lot around a lot in the grief community, which is grief is just love with nowhere to go. Oh my God. I totally, so I totally get the sentiment behind it. Yes. But here's what I like. Here's the next sentence of that for me. Mm-hmm. Find a place for your love to go. Mm-hmm. 
You know, like for me, like, yeah, I could just sit on my back porch and chain smoke and let that love calcify and become a hard rock inside Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. But I decided early on, like, no, like this grief exists because love in me exists. Mm -hmm. And I'm in fucking fine places for that love to go. I am going to love my friends harder than I've ever loved them. I am going to make sure my partner knows how important he is Mm -hmm. to me. I'm going to accept love in return from my friends and from my partner. I'm going to make sure that my family knows how important they are to me. Like I've started writing my friends love letters. Like I have so many friends in other states, Mm -hmm. like write them letters and mail them to them Mm -hmm. so that they know that they're loved. Like grief is just love with nowhere to go. So find a place for it to go. Like don't let it just sit and rot inside of you. Mm -hmm. And I do like, And that's hard. It's, like, a lot easier to curl up under the covers and let it die. But, no, like, I want to take that love I have and just, like, shine it out into the world. Like, even if, like, even if I'm, like, sobbing while I am. Yeah. And I don't know. That's just, like, probably more than anything else besides EMDR. Like, letting myself love the people who are still here fully Mm -hmm. has been that's just that's been the move yeah that's the move (laughs) yeah no it's okay no I love that because I felt that uh, um, initially with all of this was I started giving more love into my patients like um, and I didn't think about the quote but it makes perfect sense like because there was so much love that um, that I just knew I had in me and I was like fuck I don't want anybody to feel like unloved from me you know like I would love if if Joe like felt my love (laughs) um but I think he like opened up my heart in the biggest way possible and I don't I don't regret like that I don't regret any of this you know I don't I wouldn't take any of this back um I think we're all in a in a good place and it's hard it's definitely you know what i mean it's hard it's fucking hard i cannot we cannot rewind shit so there's no sense in like the what ifs and this this should have happened or this could have happened like there's no sense in doing that to ourselves but we can only like choose to like see what comes out of this what comes out of all of this and really what it comes down to is love like love is as cliche as it fucking may sound love is everything like giving it and receiving it, it feels so much better to give love um, than curl up in your bed and not, you know what I mean? Like there's grief that comes with love, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. <sighs> oh, man. oh my gosh. Okay. Well, season one. <laughs> this is the end of season one. Um, season two will be coming. Uh, probably like mid April. We're going to take a little break. Season two will be interview based. We're really excited to bring some of your voices into the conversation. Yeah, I I feel like season one was our stories and season two will be your stories. Can't wait. (laughs) So yeah. Um, you know where to find us, um, on Instagram at at don't talk underscore podcast. And email us at info at shdonttalk.com. Um, we really appreciate y'all. Um, if you made it to the end of this episode, uh, we definitely really appreciate y'all sticking by us from the beginning of this podcast to now and those um, in the future that I know we will meet. And um, I think, I hope um, people have a better understanding now of the depth of this podcast and yeah why the depths yes (laughs) it does matter you matter we matter we love this community that is like slowly but surely being built Mm -hmm. and um until we talk to you again just take care of yourselves and love each other as much as possible yes we love you you. bye Bye.